Morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. A couple of announcements as we get started. Tonight, 5.30 and 7, Christmas communion. We get ready to start three of my favorite services. I love Easter. I love Christmas Eve. And Christmas communion for believers is unbelievably powerful because we gather together to be reminded of why it was that Jesus came in the form of a baby at the incarnation. And I just can't encourage you strongly enough You have to be intentional this time of year or you're going to miss Christmas. That's the bottom line. So to be intentional, to join us tonight, there is childcare at the 5.30 service, no childcare at the 7. We invite you to come. It's going to be beautiful, quiet, warm, reflective, and I invite you to be here. Uh, Next Saturday, all of our Christmas services are on Christmas Eve, 2.34, 5.30, and 7. I will warn you, the earlier services are packed to the gills, so make sure you get here early so you don't get bitter in the parking lot, okay? That would be good. That's Christmas Eve, and be inviting people. What a great time of year. Been hearing so many stories, especially after last weekend, of miracles where people have invited people for years, and this is the year when they said, I'm actually coming, so that's exciting. We've been talking about doing without. Uh, You saw the doing without coffee. I'll talk about that in a moment. This coming weekend on Saturday, on Christmas Eve, we're doing something called the doing without food drive. Now, we want to fill our food bank up with as much food as possible because January, normally we just have We have thousands of people that come looking for food. And so I'm going to ask you to go through your pantry, non-perishable stuff, bring it with you on Christmas Eve. We're going to put it in the commons and make a great big pile. Then we're going to fill the food bank and make sure that nobody goes to bed hungry in Whatcom County if the church can do anything about it. Amen? That's what we're working on, okay? As well, next, uh, with the kind of timing this year, it's a little bit interesting with the year end. You know if you come to Christ the King, we don't talk about money very often at all, but if the Lord is leading you in the direction of year end giving, there's a note inside of your program there just giving you directions, lets you know when the church is open on the last day of the year, and we would love uh, uh, to, uh, to be a, a part of your consideration if that's what the Lord leads you to do. Somebody asked me if I was hating on any particular gift this year. Last year, I made fun of Snuggies, okay? Worst Christmas gift ever in the entire history of the world. In fact, I volunteered. I said, don't, don't buy a Snuggie. Uh, you can pay me 20 bucks. I'll show up at your house with a pair of scissors. I'll cut two holes in your favorite blanket, and you get the same thing. That's kind of how it works. Well, last year, people thought it was funny um, that I hated Snuggies so much. I got a lot of Snuggies for Christmas last year. So for the record this year, I hate iPads, okay? (laughs) Dumbest Christmas gift ever. Why in the world you'd ever buy that for somebody? I have no idea, all right? (laughs) That's fun. Okay, so this weekend in the Christ the King story, we're doing without coffee, all right? How's everybody's tremor going? Are you doing okay? All right? You walked in today and some of you saw there was no coffee and it made you bitter, didn't it? I mean, just be honest. Let me tell you why we're doing without coffee. We're doing without it so that we can take all of the proceeds of what we would normally spend on coffee at a weekend of Christ the King and we're going to send it to Africa and we're going to do a clean water project in a village over there, which I think is just an awesome cause for us to be involved in. Hopefully knowing that kind of took your bitterness away. If it didn't, you need therapy and I can refer you to somebody in the community, okay? This weekend, we're actually going to talk about bitterness because it just seems to boil up in our lives. Last weekend at two of the services, I forgot to light the Advent candle. People freaked out. How can I celebrate Advent if you don't light the candle? You need therapy too. Like if that throws you off, you need help. Seriously. 
I mean, in a time when we're supposed to be focusing on love and joy and peace and hope, there's just something about this season that seems to magnify feelings of bitterness. Even the word, I mean, I use the word hate. I mean, our family systems, they just seem to bring out the best and worst of our feelings because we've got to deal with people who may have hurt us or we've hurt in the past. I mean, our parents, our in-laws, our exes, our obnoxious extended family. I mean, I just start talking about it. Some of you get bitter because they're on their way, you know? They're showing up this week. I think the innkeeper in the Christmas story gets a bad rap. I mean, every year... He gets portrayed by some bitter kid in, the, in these Christmas pageants all over the country. You know, he's always portrayed by this angry child with oppositional defiant disorder, you know, and, and he stands on the other side of the door and, and when the pregnant lady walks up, he opens it up and he utters the famous line, you know, no room. And we all think, what a jerk. I, what you, say, you can't say that to a pregnant lady. You know, who made his life so miserable and those of you who are planners, you actually side with the bitter innkeeper because it's like, it's not his fault Joseph and Mary didn't plan ahead and make reservations. You know, seriously. Okay, if you think that at a Christmas pageant, you really need therapy, just so we're clear, okay? We always see the innkeeper as the bitter guy in the story. I mean, would it, would it freak you out and make you bitter if I told you that he actually doesn't exist in the story? It's true. He falls in the same category as the little drummer boy. He's not there, okay, according to the Bible. Some of you are like, are you serious? Yeah, the Bible says this. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, where he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That's all it says. There's no mention of an angry guy saying no room. Here's the shocking truth. There was no angry, bitter innkeeper. Some of you are like, are you really? All of these years I've been lied to. Some of you actually played the innkeeper in a kid's program and you're really ticked off right now. Because now you know why you got cast in that role, right? Yeah, okay. So if we can't use the innkeeper to talk about bitterness, where in the world can we go in Scripture to get a little help if, if we're kind of struggling with forgiveness or dealing with, with, with troublesome people in our lives this time of year? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we actually went to the Old Testament to find a story of hope. And we're going to do that exact same thing again this weekend. 2 Samuel 16 is in the white pages of your Bible. I've yet to find somebody who actually knew this story and the outcome of it as I've preached this all weekend long. Maybe somebody at the 10 o'clock can actually improve our level of biblical literacy here. 2 Samuel 16 tells a tragic story of bitterness. And I'm not going to tell you the entire story. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. It would take way too long. So I'm going to give you a cliff note summary, okay? It starts with this point. David was the king of Israel at this point in history, but his family was a mess, an absolute mess. There was no old-fashioned family Griswold Christmas for David's family, okay? So if your family's jacked up, you're in good company when we talk about King David. One of David's closest friends was a man named Ahithophel. I practiced that all week so I could get it right, okay? And you can pray for Mariette, our interpreter right now, because she's going to have to sign Ahithophel a lot this morning, okay? Can we give it up for Mariette? That's awesome, okay? Okay. 
Ahithophel was a beloved advisor to King David. 2 Samuel 16, 23 says this. Now in the days, in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. So David actually believed Ahithophel was a godly man who asked God questions and he could give wisdom when David needed to know something specific. These guys were close. David trusted his friend to give him godly advice, but the problem was this. There was a falling out between these two friends. You've probably been there before, right? You got a really close friend and you seem to be really connected with that person and then suddenly one day they just flip on you. They just disappear out of your life. You have no idea why. All you know is they just walked out angry and I don't really know what the deal is. David writes about the falling out with Ahithophel in Psalm 55 where he says this. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. David's saying, we used to go to church together. We used to hang out together. I, I, I just don't know exactly what happened inside of our relationship. And so I started doing some study because I'm asking the question, what could have caused this falling out? What could have come between these two incredibly close friends? Started asking God the question, why in the world is Ahithophel so angry and bitter? Started doing some genealogy work, started doing some study, started pushing back the edges of scripture to find out. And this is what I found out. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Bathsheba's grandpa. Bathsheba was the woman that David spied on while she was taking a bath on her roof. King David was a peeping Tom at one point, just so you know. Then he seduced her, then he slept with her, and then he actually tried to kill her husband to cover up his tracks. Apparently, grandpa got just a little ticked off about how King David treated his grandbaby. I'll tell you something. You hurt McKenna, my daughter, I'll hurt you. But that is not even close to what will happen when Ernie and Leonard, her grandfathers, get a hold of your sorry existence. And I'm going to tell you, Leonard's already dead, but he'll find a way if you mess with his granddaughter. Just so you know, okay? Well, apparently grandpa's just a little ticked off and this friendship is over. History tells us this, David's son, his name is Absalom, tries to steal his father's kingdom and Ahithophel actually flips sides. He moves over onto Absalom's side. David's on the run and his former friend is in his throne room helping David's rebellious kid take over the country. Time goes by and Ahithophel carries bitterness and unforgiveness in his heart and we run into this story 11 years later. Eleven years, he's carried this bitterness in his heart. He buries it down deep. He stokes it. He pokes it. He nurses it. He lets it grow. He fans it into flame, and it takes root deep down in his heart. And in 2 Samuel 16, this is what happens. David's kid comes to Ahithophel, still believing he speaks for God, and he says, what do you think I should do with my dad? Ahithophel's answer shows us just how deep the root of bitterness goes. This is his advice to Absalom. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to disgrace your father. 
Okay, this is a PG-13 kind of an area, so I'm not going to get into a lot of the gory details. This is what I'm going to tell you. Ahithophel says, this is what you need to do to David. You need to take all of his wives, plural, because he had more than one. He was living in disobedience. You need to take all of the ladies of David's court. You need to go out in public on the top of a mountain and have sexual relations with every single one of them, and the entire nation should watch. That's sick. That's unbelievably sick. And that, that's what bitterness does, folks. It makes us do things that we would never think of doing. It makes us say things that we would never think of saying. It makes us act in ways that are completely out of character for us. He goes even further. The Bible says this, Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I'd attack him while he's weary and weak. I would strike him with terror, and then all the people with him will flee. I'd strike down only the king, bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will, be, will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. And this plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. Disgrace your father. Then he says, I want you to chase your father. Chase him down. He's weak right now. You need to pursue him with everything in you. Don't you rest until David is dead. Hunt him down like a dog. And then I want you to kill your father. Okay, can I, can I just give you some keen insight into the obvious here? Ahithophel is bitter. He's bitter. He's angry. Now, some of us just kind of look at that and go, man, that guy, that guy needs some help. Like Somebody needs to, to help that guy out. Before we judge Ahithophel, let me just share with you some of the statements I've heard from people in our church over this past week that kind of maybe will bring us back to the fact that we're not as far removed from this story as we'd like to be. I can't believe what my parents did to me. I can't believe they broke up with me the week before Christmas. I can't believe my ex is keeping my kids away from me at Christmas time. I can't believe he abused me when I was six. I can't believe that she left me for him. I can't believe they stole from me. I gave them a job and that's how they said thank you. I can't believe they lied to my face. They said they were Christians and they said they were my friends. Boy, I got quiet in here. Before we judge David's friends, maybe we need to stop and learn because I think this affects all of us at some level. All of us. And if we can't learn something from this, this is the most depressing Christmas message that you've ever heard, okay? So let's turn the corner a little bit. What can we learn? We can learn this from Ahithophel's story. Number one, bitterness is when we drink poison in the hopes that it'll hurt somebody else. Somebody hurts us, and so we focus on the hurt. We nurture the hurt. We stoke it. We poke it. We do all of the things to try and keep it alive. We pour ourselves a big cup of bitterness, and then we drink it thinking it'll actually hurt the other person. It's infecting our own heart, but we just think somehow if we just ingest it, that it's going to actually wound that other person and it's going to balance the scales. It doesn't. But that's what bitterness is. Secondly, bitterness grows when we allow a hurt to become a hate. 
The only answer to stopping a hurt in its tracks and not allowing it to grow into a hate is to do this difficult, painstaking work called forgiveness. And this is where so many of us get stuck because we believe our bitterness is justified. I hear this all the time. Grant, if you only knew what they did, you wouldn't tell me to forgive. If you only knew how they hurt me. I mean, can you hear Ahithophel defending this? He ruined my family. He hurt my granddaughter. He deserves to pay for what he did. Here's the problem with that. The Bible does say that anger is not wrong, okay? There's nothing wrong with anger. David was angry. Jesus got angry. He was flipping tables. Read the story for yourself. Anger for a time is justifiable. Bitterness for a lifetime, according to Scripture, is inexcusable. Because it wrecks you. It wrecks you. I mean, I can hear Ahithophel saying, the people who hurt me, man, they need to pay. I can hear us saying, the people who hurt me, they need to pay. And I'm not going to rest until they do. Can I just speak into that just for a moment? Because here's the truth of what Scripture would tell us. We torment ourselves when we fail to forgive. We torment ourselves. We torment ourselves because we place ourselves in a prison of unforgiveness. We forget everything that Jesus taught us. Everything that God taught us. God said this about forgiveness. He said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Not yours. Not Grant's. Not Jack's. Not John's. No, 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 no. It's not yours. Vengeance belongs to me. You need to leave it alone. If you touch it, you're just going to mess yourself up. We forget that Jesus said, bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You have heard me say this before. It always gets a reaction when I say it because people just like, oh, that sounds really tough. Here's the deal. You only need to offer the level of forgiveness to the people who have hurt you the same level that it took for Jesus to forgive you. I can't speak for your pile, but for me, that's a really, really, really big pile of forgiveness. I've never had anyone hurt me to the level that I have hurt God with my disobedience. Some of you are thinking, that sounds really hard. You know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. It is hard. My question to you is this. This Christmas, will you give yourself the gift of being set free from a prison of bitterness and hate? Will you accept the God of the gift that Jesus offers? Well, in order to do that, we need to understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. According to my records, I have taught this at least three times at Christ the King. If it's review, good. I think we need to go over it again and again and again until we finally get it. Let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We don't forget when we've been hurt. I mean, I can speak from experience. Wounds have a long memory. And if we just simply forget them, we actually learn or lose the lesson that came along with the pain. My friend Mark Driscoll from Seattle, Mars Hill Church, I love his little line. He says this, forgiveness doesn't come with a side of amnesia. It doesn't just disappear out of your mind. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Secondly, forgiveness is not diminishing. It's not saying that what happened didn't matter or that it didn't hurt. In fact, when we confess when we say out loud what it was that hurt us, how we were wounded, we're actually saying the same thing about that sin that God says. 
And what God says is this, that sin was so significant that my son had to die for it. In order to cover that sin, it was such a huge deal. My son had to die for it. When we speak that way, we're getting in agreement with God. And when we're saying it wasn't small, it wasn't insignificant. This is a big deal. But I don't want to live underneath the weight of it. I want it to be set free. I want God to do something with it. Forgiveness is not diminishing. It's not overlooking. It's not pretending it didn't happen. It's not sweeping it under the rug. I mean, does anybody else read a newspaper or open the internet these days and see what happens when you try to sweep something under the rug when it comes to sin? I mean, just look at the front page of your newspaper these days. People were trying to cover stuff up. This is what I have found. When you sweep it under the rug, it'll grow bigger legs and crawl up the other side. That's what happens with sin. You can't hide it. Doesn't work that way. Forgiveness is not overlooking. It's not denying. It's not lying about the fact that it happened. It did happen. It needs to be brought kicking and screaming out into the light where Jesus is so that Jesus can actually deal with it. Forgiveness is not condoning. I mean, some people just fall into this crazy false idea that if I forgive somebody who hurt me, that somehow I'm letting them off the hook that I'm condoning what it was that they did. That somehow they, I, I, I can just leave it right there and, and it's not going to be that big of a deal. But, but we just get this thing kind of misconnected inside of our mind. The truth is this, the sin is still there. You're just refusing to allow it to hold you hostage anymore. And I know this is unbelievably difficult, but I have to remind myself of this biblical truth every time I get hurt. I have to remind myself of this. Jesus died to cover that too. Even the offense that came against me, Jesus died to cover that too. Finally, forgiveness is not momentary and instantaneous. My friends, human forgiveness can be a process. I mean, sometimes you've got to choose to forgive day after day, hour after hour, week after week, moment by moment. I mean, genuine forgiveness is not a band-aid you just slap on and forget about. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of scripture. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of conversations. I mean, I'll be transparent right now. Dealing with forgiveness in my own life, it's taken a lot of counseling. And I'm not the counselor, I'm the counselee. The question is really this. Are you working on forgiving as Jesus forgave you. Here's another misconception. Well, if I forgive somebody, it means we have to be friends. That's not true. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you're going to be in a relationship with them. In fact, let me say something very bold. You may be able to forgive someone and they still may have to go to jail for what they did. Just being straight, okay? See, what happened was trust got broken. Trust needs to be rebuilt. I get asked this question by someone who's offended somebody else. I get this question all of the time. How do I go about winning back trust? And my answer is simple. You just have to do the right thing for a really long time. And they usually say, how long is a long time? It's way longer than you think. Way longer than you think. Well, if I just described what forgiveness is not, then what in the world is it? Let me tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing a person from our judgment. It's when we literally say, God, I'm just not going to be the judge in this 
deal anymore. I'm not going to be the judge. I'm not going to be the jury. I'm not going to be the executioner. I'm actually going to trust you. And if you think vengeance is warranted, I'm going to leave that in your hands. If you think punishment is warranted, I'm going to leave that in your hands. I'm just going to resign in my position as the king of the universe and trust you to take care of this. So I'm going to release this person from my judgment and trust you to take over. Secondly, forgiveness is choosing not to punish You know, the reality is we could punish for a long time. It may even feel good to punish for about four seconds. We just want the person to hurt just a fraction of how much we've been hurt. And yet we choose not to punish. And this is why we don't punish. As the people of God, we don't punish people who have hurt us because if anyone in all of human history had the right to punish people who had hurt him, it would be Jesus, and he chose not to. Merry Christmas. He just said, I'm not going to hurt them. They deserve it. Yep. I'm perfect. They're sinful, but I'm not going to hurt them. I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to choose to love them and forgive them. And this is why, and this is how I'm going to show them. I'm actually going to wrap up my son and send him to them. Think about it. He died for us, adopted us into his family. Forgiveness is refusing to harbor an offense. 1 Corinthians has a description of love that's also a description of God because the Bible says God is love. And in that passage, the Bible says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Which means this, forgiveness means that we're going to refuse to appoint ourselves as the curators of our own pain museums. We're not going to keep them alive. We're not going to, we're not going to create idols towards the pain that we've had in our life. Instead, we're going to trust them to God. We're going to choose instead to release the pain because we know that if we hold on to it, there's only one outcome according to the life of Ahithophel. The only outcome is bitterness. What else is forgiveness? It's giving mercy when none is deserved. Some of us are like, I'll I'll give mercy when they ask for it. Is that what Jesus did? I know my sin nailed him there, but I don't remember being there on the day when he said, Father, forgive all of them. They don't understand what they're doing. I don't remember being the first one to ask for it. And so that would seem to logically tell me that when it comes to forgiveness, this is how it's supposed to work. Christian, freely you have received, freely give. What else is forgiveness? It's setting free our offender and ourselves. When I choose to forgive, I choose to be and act like Jesus. I I treat those who've hurt me like Jesus treated me when I hurt him with my own sin. And I hold on to the scripture that says there's a freedom promised for those who are willing to be like Jesus. And finally, forgiveness is ongoing. Sometimes you got to choose to forgive over and over and over again. Not because the person that hurts you needs forgiveness over and over and over again, but it's part of the process of us releasing that hurt and being healed. Here's the final tragic point from Ahithophel's life. Bitterness only hurts you. The tragedy of 2 Samuel 17, 23 is this. Ahithophel commits suicide. He takes his own life. He ends his own life because his bitterness consumes him. That's what happens when you refuse to forgive. It will consume you. 
And this is what I think God wants to do this year. What if that tiny little piece of bitterness or hate that we've kept in our soul for a really, really, really long time What if we exchanged it for love? What if the very miracle that God offered to us, we offered to every single human being who's ever hurt us? What if we decided this year, instead of spending Christmas in the prison of bitterness, what if we took Jesus up on the offer to open up that door and walk free? What if we let it go? You know where you find love? You find love in the story of Jesus. Let me read to you the heart of God for forgiveness for every person in this room this Christmas time. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. Just listen to these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Here's the crux of the whole thing. Not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what we're going to come together and remember tonight. We're going to remember that he who had no sin on him was made sin for us so that we could experience forgiveness. Here's the issue with a lot of us in the room. We're really good with forgiving everybody else. We have an issue with two other groups of people. Well, actually, maybe I'll put it this way. One other person and one other God. We forgive others, no problem. Have you ever given yourself the gift of forgiving yourself? I meet people all the time that have not forgiven themselves for stuff they did when they were in high school. Really? Why don't you let that go? God said he didn't remember it. Why are you holding on to it? Why not seek that forgiveness? Some of us are here today and we're just angry at God. We won't forgive God because we didn't get our answer on our timeline. So maybe we need a little time just to kind of think and process this through. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the fact that when God came to offer us forgiveness, he didn't do it in an angry, loud way. That's what I love about Jesus. He didn't just show up, could have, didn't just show up and say, okay, here's how forgiveness works. Stop being bitter. No room for that in your heart. Get your act together and smarten up. It's not the way he came to offer us forgiveness. In fact, the truth is he came quiet. He came soft and slow. Kind of like, like a winter snow comes and covers the earth and actually for a little while, convinces us that it can actually be beautiful.
So I'm going to ask Pastor Mike and the team, they're going to come back and join me. And we're going to finish the service different. We're not done right now. But they're actually going to sing for us. And while they're singing, this is what I want you to do. I want you to forgive the person who's hurt you the most. I want you to forgive yourself. And if you're angry and bitter at God for something, then maybe you need to make that right with Him. You simply need to forgive as the Lord Jesus forgave you. So these guys are going to play a quiet song for us. We're going to think, we're going to reflect, we're going to pray. And then I'll come back and we'll dismiss with a word of prayer. Let's do some hard work right now.
It took me a long time to forgive the person that I felt had hurt me more than anyone else in the world. Went through 12 steps here, Christ the King, almost 12 years ago. John Havland was my sponsor through that process. And I remember when we had to write out the list of names that we were holding things in our heart against. I didn't even want to write the guy's name down. It's too ticked. And yet John called that out. He said, you know, here's the deal. You can't really experience God's full forgiveness until you let all that stuff go. You got to get out of jail, Grant. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to actually finish today quiet. If you need to sit here and do some business with God, if you need to forgive somebody before they even ask you for forgiveness, if you need to forgive yourself, then just going to kind of let it be quiet here for a little while, and Mike's going to play, and you just take as much time as you need. Hope you'll come back to communion tonight. It's so unbelievably important for us to never forget why he came. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you needed somebody like John in your life just to call it out and say, I'll pray with you about that. So some members of the after service prayer team are going to come hang out here at the front if you need somebody to pray with. But we'd sure love to be able to do with that to you today. My prayer is that this year, Christ the King, we will give ourselves the gift of a love that will release any bitterness that we would ever hold against anybody. I hope we'll give ourselves the gift of freedom this year. So God bless you. Thanks for coming. You'll come back and see us tonight and on Christmas Eve. God's doing some incredible things and you can spend as much time as you need here with him. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed. Merry Christmas.